This morning, we um, find ourselves in a well-known passage of Scripture where Paul addresses the problem of anxiety within the Philippian church. Yes, I'm preaching in Philippians this morning. Um, And of course, Paul is writing this letter from prison uh, where we might say he has plenty to be anxious about, um, but he's not. You know, word, word came to Paul from Epaphras, uh, Epaphroditus, or the, the messenger from the church at Philippi, to inform him of, among other things, the church's struggle with anxiety. Um, and this is, of course, a most, the most human of afflictions, anxiety and worry, fear, those kinds of things. It's, it's something that all of us can relate to, but it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing in our lives, and as we'll see today, this is something to be rid of, something to be cast aside. Uh, It's a dragon to be slain in our lives, and unfortunately, I think pastors could preach on this subject every Sunday, and people would still continue to fall into the grasp of anxiety and worry and fear. And In fact, some of you may leave here today and, and still be stuck in anxiety and fear, I pray that is not the case. Anxiety is often the place that many of us go first uh, when troubles come our way in many forms, but it's not how it should be as Christians. Let's face it, life is it's completely saturated with things that cause us to have anxiety or worry, and if, if we're honest, we can potentially worry about things every single day, maybe even minute to minute. And someone has asked the question, how can you tell when it's going to be a rotten day? Right? Well, you wake up face down on the pavement. That's one way. <clears throat> you see a 60 Minutes uh, news team waiting in your office. All right? Your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. We can't all relate to that, but some can maybe. Uh, you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. Your twin sister forgot your birthday. Uh, your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck while you're following a pack of Hell's Angels down the freeway. And your boss tells you not to bother to take off your coat. Uh, the bird singing outside your window is a buzzard. You call your answering service and they tell you it's none of your business. Or you put both contact lenses in the same eye. And the list of these things we think are deserving of worry is really endless. And, and some of them are pretty ridiculous. But what about the ones that are not so ridiculous? There are things that we become anxious about that are pretty big, and some uh, are of our own making, and others are not. So let's start with an understanding, I think, that we can all agree on, that anxiety is real, and fears are real, and worry is real. It's a real thing, a real problem, and the Scriptures address this problem. Okay, God, God's not silent on this issue, as we'll see in our text today. Um, this is something that humans have struggled with from the very beginning. It came about in the fall. And, and I think we see in Adam and Eve the first example of anxiety as they hid from God in the garden in fear. And throughout human history, we have analyzed it and psychologized it and philosophized it and diagnosed it and medicated it. We talk about it. We talk about having it. And many people see it as who they are. We sometimes talk about it as if there's no cure, and we resign ourselves to being stuck with it for the rest of our lives. That's true for the unbeliever, perhaps, but is it true for Christians? 
Is, is a Christian who struggles with anxiety stuck with it? Is that who they are? And the answer is no, absolutely not. We can understand why the unbelieving world would have that sense of hopelessness, because they have no answers. They don't know how to make sense of life and the events taking place around them. Their sins have not been paid for by the Savior. But Christians are different, are we not? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. This is a work of God in those he saves. Christians must understand that the world truly has nothing to offer to a person who deals with anxiety except more anxiety. The world offers cover-ups where God offers healing. The world offers more anxiety where God offers freedom. The world offers temporary solutions where God offers eternal peace. A truly unexplainable, unimaginable, all-sufficient grace and peace in times of trouble. But how? What, what does God offer that the world cannot? What science cannot? What psychology cannot? This is the question. And by God's grace, I want to, uh, us to answer that question today. And I pray that we Christians can all leave here reminded of the truth and better equipped to respond properly to the anxieties and worries of life, including our own wrong thinking, which is the problem. So let's read our text for today and then ask God to graciously help us understand the truth today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 is where we will be. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray this morning. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come and gather in singing and prayer and the reading of your word, the hearing of your word. Father, we're so grateful. And we ask, Lord, as we come to this topic today, that in each person here with the things in our lives that perhaps we're anxious about, perhaps we've been anxious for a long time, Lord, that you would teach us the truth this morning from your Holy Spirit, Lord, from your word that you would show us who you are and, and that we can trust you. I pray you would bring us more knowledge in this area. Lord, Lord make us more like Christ in this area for your glory and for our good. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a, a young boy, Probably once or twice a year, my parents would take us down to the Mojave Desert where my grandparents lived. Many of you knew Grandpa John and Grandma Elizabeth when they were still alive. And we would go down there, and I always knew where Grandma had the stash of candy in her, in her pantry. It's quite a big pantry, but she always had candy, and there was always those cichlet, sixlets. I don't know if you guys know what those are, but the little round chocolate candies with the uh, candy coating on them. They're in a little sleeve that you put in your mouth, and you, of course you squirt them all in your mouth. You don't just eat one at a time, right? So I always knew where those things were, 
and uh, I got them pretty much whenever I wanted, um, unless somebody caught me and, and told me I had to stop. But um, I also found out one time that Grandpa had a stash of candy, and, but that stash was at church, and it was in the Sunday school room where he taught the, the older kids. And I remember the day that I found that stash because it was the same day that I found out, like the other kids, I couldn't just get that candy whenever I wanted, right? I, I had to earn that candy. And Grandpa would only give me some of that candy if, like the other kids, I memorized Scripture. And so Grandpa didn't tell me to go find a verse to memorize. He told me he wanted me to memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Right? And many of you have probably memorized these verses as well, and uh, they're, they're pretty famous verses in Scripture. And it's, these are important verses. They're comforting verses for you in life. If you're like me, you've recited them to yourself in times of trouble, and you've probably attempted to apply them to other people's trouble as well. But some of you may experience the thought or feeling that this plan doesn't work, that your anxiety hasn't gone away, so you conclude that God, God's way doesn't work for everyone. But this is not true. The truth is our thinking is broken. And we can see that right in these verses, and that is what anxiety is. It's wrong thinking. We must have right thinking and, and, and be renewed and guarded, have our thinking renewed and guarded. And as I read through some commentaries uh, in my preparation, I think several summed up anxiety and worry very well by saying things like, worry is the interest we pay on tomorrow's troubles. Right? Worry is like a rocking chair. It requires investment of your energy, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Worry never moves you one inch closer to a solution. In fact, it creates more problems. I think we can all agree with this. Worry cannot change the past or control the future. It makes you miserable today. Worry is wrong because it demonstrates distrust in God's promises and providence. It says, God is not big enough to handle the problems and circumstances in my life. And it is, in, assess in essence, practical atheism. In a sense, the principles Paul lays out here are very simple and straightforward in these verses. So let's look at that for a moment, and then, then we'll come back to what I think is the most important question to ask. What is Paul saying to the church in regard to anxiety? Keeping in mind that this is not just for the Philippian church. He did write to the Philippian church about this subject, but this is for our benefit as well. Let's look at what Paul's writing about and how we are not not to respond to life's troubles, and then how we are to respond to life's troubles. First, how not to respond to life's troubles. In verse 6, Paul plainly says, do not be anxious about anything. What does Paul mean by, by being anxious? That's a, that's a question we need to ask. What does he mean by being anxious? Because honestly, this same word is used in positive ways and in negative ways in the Scriptures. And the word that Paul uses here is merimnao, which has the meaning of care or to be concerned about. This has a positive connotation. For example, Paul wrote about <clears throat> how God assembled the church, uh, uh, church body so that there may be no division in it. He says, but, but that the members may have the same care, merimnao, the same word, for one another, 1 Corinthians 12, 25. God wants us to care for or to be concerned about one another as Christians. Each other's uh, spiritual well-being and, and obedience to Christ, this is something we should care for one another about. But when Paul used 
the word here in this context, it has to do with an anxious concern over things in a distrusting sort of way. That's what Paul is talking about. One pastor said this is uh, anxiety based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune and is characterized by extreme uneasiness of mind or brooding fear about some contingency and emphasizes a fear of frustration, failure, or disappointment. As Paul says, Marimnao here, he's talking about a person who is going through life trying to take on alone the burdens of what might happen in the future, be it near or far future, is manifest in an unreasonable anxiety over future possibilities, especially a burdens one takes on that they ultimately have no control over. William Vine writes, Merimnao denotes to have a distracting care. He says, this is to be absent entirely from the believer. Anxiety harasses the soul. It enfeebles, irritates, ruffles the temper, is a sign of mistrust and a failing obedience, and distracts the mind from communion with God. We can relate to that, I think. You see, there's a connection between our anxiety and our view of God. A low view of God leads to high anxiety. And by contrast, a high view of God leads to low anxiety. We'll talk about that more later. For now, we need to see what Paul is saying in the context of our passage. It's not a suggestion. It's not an example of a best practice that a Christian can either, either take it or leave it in terms of being anxious or not. Paul wrote this in the present imperative with a negative, and it means to stop doing it. In other words, this is a command. Stop doing what you're already doing. This is what the church of Philippi was doing. And Paul is set against it, this kind of anxiety. This is not the way a Christian is to be. Stop doing it. Stop being anxious. Look how far-reaching this command is. Do not be anxious about anything. Some of your translations say, be anxious for nothing. And the word Paul uses here is, is put in the first place in the Greek and literally means not even one thing. In other words, stop it. Stop being anxious for even one thing. Don't allow this in your thinking at all. Easier said than done, right? Right now, you should be thinking about that thing, that one thing that is dominating your thinking in an anxious way. And maybe you have more than one thing. What is it? Are you thinking your thing is beyond the list of not even one things? What is it? What is that thing you are living in anxiety over? What is going to happen at my job? What? Why can't I find someone to marry? What if I'm alone the rest of my life? How long is COVID going to be around? How far will the government go in taking away freedoms? Why don't people take COVID more seriously? Why do people take COVID so seriously? What if the U.S. ceases to exist as we know it? What do people think about me? What if people find out about my sin? Is is my spouse a Christian? Is my child a Christian? Why does God allow suffering? What if this illness kills me? I don't know if I can deal with this pain and etc. 
Some of you are anxious and don't realize it's because you're believing some or many of the lies of the world wants you to believe. And there's a tension within because you refuse to believe the truth of God's word on a subject. Some of you are anxious because you're living in unrepentant sin and the Spirit of God is pressing down on you through your conscience. Either way, living in anxiety about these things is not the proper way to respond as Christians. In fact, to live in ongoing anxiety as a Christian is sinful. We need to stop talking about anxiety like it's okay for us to stay there. Why is God saying through Paul's pen, do not be anxious about anything if he thinks it's okay for you to be anxious? He doesn't. Anxiety is how we're not to respond to life's troubles. Now, how are we to respond to life's troubles? Look there at Philippians 4, 6. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Again, there's a simplicity to this. Also, the, the negative command was to stop being anxious. Now, the positive command is to replace the anxiety with these godly practices. Remember, Paul said we're, we're not to be anxious about even one thing. Well, here he tells, tells us how to respond in everything. That is, in all things, in all circumstances. In every situation, in every concern, in every trouble, in every struggle with sin, in every fear and worry, literally in everything. Nothing is off limits or out of bounds. Nothing is too small or too big. No trial, no tribulation, no sickness, no circumstance, no suffering, no burden, no fear, no anxiety, no worry. There is no unknown that God doesn't know. We have unknowns, but there isn't one of those for God. He knows everything. There is nothing unseen that God doesn't see. He sees everything. In everything, Paul is saying, to replace anxiety instead with prayer. Paul's exhorting the church to come before God here in, in humble adoration and worship, in worshipful prayer. We see an example of the attitude Paul's talking about and how the psalmist approached God in Psalm 84, 8, where he says, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. You can hear the reverential fear of the God of the universe in that opening. And the prayer Paul is talking about is, is not an arbitrary prayer or without focus. It is specific. It is targeted. It is needed. That is what he conveys with his next word translated as supplication or sometimes as petitions, maybe in your translation. The idea here is that you would be pleading with God. Some might say begging God earnestly to grant your specific need. This is also portraying something you would do in an ongoing sense. This is not one time. To pray without ceasing about this problem. That is what you do with these requests for God to address your anxieties. This should not be news to us. The scriptures are full of exhortation for God's people to trust Him with what weighs upon them in life. And Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burdens on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Do we believe that or not? 
the Apostle Peter gives similar instruction, but before he does so, he reminds his readers that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, which is the posture of the petitioner in Paul's exhortation as well. And Peter says in in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And in our text, the Christian is to do all of this with an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of thankfulness to God, thankful that He will answer our prayers according to His perfect will, thankful for how He will answer, and thankful as we look back for how God has answered our past prayers and how God has cared for us through our lives. This requires remembrance. Ask God with thanksgiving in your heart. Let your anxieties be made known to Him, be made known to God in in humble reliance upon Him. And there's a promise attached to this. There's a promise in our passage of Scripture. This promise is what we all look to, is what we all cling to in these verses. Or is it? Don't we sometimes think these verses promise to take away the difficult circumstance that is causing our anxiety? Think about it for a moment. Isn't that what we really want? But what do the Scriptures promise here? Let's look at it closely in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did it say the peace of God will change your circumstances? No. Did it say the peace of God will take away your pain and suffering? No, it didn't. Did it say you won't lose your job or you will be healed from your sicknesses? No. It didn't. It did not promise any of those things. You see, this is not about changing our circumstances that are the subject of our anxiety. It's about being rid of the anxiety in the midst of the hardships of life. We don't like to hear it that way. We want that to go away. We want that circumstance to go away. What is broken here is not our circumstances. What is broken is not our suffering. What is broken is our thinking. Look at what Paul identifies as needing repair. He says, your hearts and your minds. You see, we have wrong feeling and wrong thinking. We don't understand something about God, and it's resulting in anxiety over our circumstances. Hearts is a reference to the the inner person. Right? Or, or the soul that needs care. Minds is a reference to the way we think, whether we have a biblical worldview or not, what, what we know about God according to His Word. Paul says our hearts and minds need to be guarded. But there's a problem here. When we find ourselves in ongoing anxiety, these are not being guarded. Our hearts and minds are not being guarded. This is military language that Paul is using here on purpose. It's the same as that of a soldier guarding the gates uh, to a city, guarding against enemy attack. With wrong thinking, our hearts and minds have been penetrated by lies and deception regarding our circumstances, and it leads to anxiety and fear. 
We let what we see or feel determine what we think is true about God. Instead of believing what the Bible says is true about God, we've let our guard down. But Paul says when we come to God in humble devotion and worshipful prayer, with petitions for him to help us with our anxiety, our fears, our worries, and with thankfulness in our hearts to him, he is the one that puts the guard back on duty. And Paul indicates that that guard is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Don't we all want that? To the Christian who trusts in God in this way, he offers his peace to guard your hearts, your soul. It guards our minds, our thinking from being wrong. It keeps us thinking the way God thinks about our circumstances instead of what our fleshly broken thinking makes it out to be. This peace is it's unfathomable. We can't understand it. We can't grasp it as humans. We, we can't counterfeit this peace. We cannot understand it, explain it, or find it anywhere else. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. And Christian, this is offered only to you as a child of God. No one benefits from this relationship but those whom God has caused to be born again. You see, Paul says, Your hearts and your minds will be guarded in Christ Jesus. He is the one in whom this is possible. He is the Prince of Peace. What will you do with your anxiety today? Will you cast it upon the one who cares for you? Will you receive the peace that he offers? We're in desperate need of this so that our our thinking uh, can be not about our circumstances, but about our God who loves us in the midst of our circumstances, who brings about peace in the midst of our circumstances. How should we think about them? Look at what Paul writes elsewhere. Uh, If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Now listen to these words. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Living in anxiety is is losing heart. And Christians are not to lose heart. Paul experienced more hardship than most people will ever experience in their lives. And he's the one saying these words. He's the one writing these words as inspired by the Holy Spirit and saying that this life is a light momentary affliction. He has an eternal perspective, and so should we. Now, I said earlier that I wanted to uh, come back to what the most important question is. So let's go to it 
now. The most important question is, why can I trust God to be able to do what He says in these verses? Why can I trust Him? Again, we memorize and quote these verses. I believe these verses are true, and I want you to believe these verses are true. I want you to believe you can trust God to keep His promises here, but why should you? Better yet, why can you? These verses point us to no one else but God. The promises all hinge upon God and His ability to bring about the promised peace in the midst of your difficult circumstances. Not to take away the circumstances, but to give you right thinking so you don't have to be anxious anymore. We've seen what Paul commanded here in the form of the negative and the positive. Stop being anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, go to God in prayer and thanksgiving. God promises He will give you a peace that no man can understand because it is divine. It is supernatural. How is that possible? How can I know that God can and will do this? That is the question. It's the title of this sermon, The Reason Why. So, what is it? What is the reason why I can trust God? There are many reasons why we can look at this passage and trust what it says, and all those reasons are because of who God is. There are many things about the character and attributes of God that we could use here as a reason for why we can embrace these promises as true. He is loving. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's our Father. He's the God of all comfort. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He's immutable. He is just. He's all these things, all at the same time. And they are wonderful truths about God that we can, can and should use as proof that we can trust Him when He says we have no need to be anxious about anything. But I want to give you a reason that I believe makes all these other reasons even stronger. It doesn't detract from them, it makes them stronger. The attribute of God that takes away doubt, that undergirds all these other attributes and makes them even more powerful to affect our lives. I'm talking about the fact that God is sovereign. It's simple, really. Because God is sovereign, I can trust Him. Let this truth about God sink in. Do you know that God is sovereign? Do you know what that means? Do you know these, these verses, but find yourself doubting because your experiences bring about anxiety and you find no peace like Paul is describing? Perhaps you have too low of a view of God. He is sovereign. I sometimes struggle with anxiety because I too forget that God is sovereign and what that means. The question is, how quickly do we remind, our, do we remind ourselves of this truth? How quickly do we come back to the truth? A.W. Tozer warned years ago that the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for it one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately, but little by little and without her knowledge. 
and her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. I would submit to you that the fact that God is sovereign over everything is the only reason that we can trust Him to keep His promises. And specifically these promises in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Because stuff is happening. Right? We, we can't escape the reality that life is painful. It's scary. The world is evil. And we can't control it. To our eyes and senses, things seem out of control. But are they? To understand that God is sovereign is to understand that He is the supreme authority over all creation. He not only made everything, but He owns everything. He knows how everything works. And not just that, He keeps everything working and working for His own purposes. Now I'm going to rapid fire some scriptures at you. Is God in sovereign control of people? Yes. Daniel 4.35, Nebuchadnezzar said this after God took his sanity, making him like an animal, and then restored him again. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Proverbs 21.1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Is God sovereign? Is God in sovereign control of nations? Yes. In Acts, Luke records the testimony of Peter and John on the subject of the sovereignty of God. In Acts 4, uh, 27 through 28, they said, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God used Assyria to punish Judah, but still held Assyria responsible, Isaiah 10, 5-7. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. The staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation I send him, and against the people of my wrath I command him, to take spoil and seize plunder, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. <clears throat> but he does not so intend, and his heart does not so think, but it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off the nations, not a few. And God is saying there that he is doing this, he is causing this. The Assyrians are going to do this thing not because they think they're doing the will of God, or they're doing what God wants, but because they're doing what they want to do. But God is doing it through them for a purpose. Is God in sovereign control of creatures? Yes. Jonah 1.17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Daniel 6.22, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Is God in sovereign control of events? Yes. 
Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. Is God in sovereign control of the weather? Yes. Turn with me to Job 37. We heard from Brandon this morning in Job some powerful words regarding God's sovereignty, but I want to look at a few more here. God didn't just establish the weather. He didn't just establish weather patterns that work independently of His control. Look at Job 37, starting in verse 3. We're going to skip around a little. We're going to go verse 3, verse 6, and then 10 through 13. Job 37, 3. Under the whole heavens, under the whole heaven, He lets it go, and His lightning to the corners of the earth. Verse 6. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth, likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. 10 through 13. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world whether for correction or for his land whether correction or for his land or for love he causes it to happen is god in sovereign control of everything yes psalm 115:3 our god is in the heavens he does all that he pleases psalm 135:6 whatever the lord pleases he does in heaven and on earth in the seas and all deeps do any of these verses lend the understanding that God is at the mercy of anything or anyone? No. Because God does not have to react to things. God does not have to learn things. He is never surprised. He's never shocked. Never unprepared. Never wrong. Always in control of every single thing in the universe. That is exactly why you can trust Him with your life with your circumstances, with your sicknesses, with your afflictions, or whatever is taking place in your life. God is working everything out for your good and His glory. Jerry Bridges said, If God is not sovereign in the decisions and actions of other people as they affect us, then there is a whole major area of our, of our lives where we cannot trust God, where we're left, so to speak, to fend for ourselves. Christian, God cares for you. Some of you may be thinking, you're not so sure God is sovereign over everything. Maybe the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is new to you. I encourage you to study the Scriptures and see the sovereignty of God and see that is it not on almost every page of the Scriptures. If you struggle with the thought that God is sovereign over all things, then I would say, Stop praying for God to change people's hearts. Stop praying for God to change circumstances in your life. Stop praying for God to help you. Stop praying for God to fix relationships and outcomes. Stop praying for God to heal your cancer, your chronic pain, or any sickness. Stop praying for God to save lost people. If He is not in control, why would we pray to Him? But we do pray to Him. Those prayers are revealing that you do believe He's sovereign over all things. 
as the Scriptures say. So pray away. Pray to the God of all creation because He can and does control everything. And He cares for you. He will never let anything happen to you that He has not ordained to happen. And look back now once more uh, at one more thing that we skipped in our passage in Philippians in verse 5. We always go to verse 6 and we miss this wonderful promise about the God we've been talking about just now, about why we, we do not have to be anxious. Not only is God sovereign over all things, but what does Paul say at the end of verse 5 before telling us not to be anxious about anything? He says, the Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is near, right? Not near in time in the sense that his return is coming soon, although that is true, but he's near in proximity. He's with you. He is in you, Christian. Will you trust him today? Will you rejoice in the Lord? As Paul says in verse 4, he is at hand. So you are commanded to stop being anxious. What comfort is there in knowing the Lord is at hand if he's not in control? If you're on a plane that was going down and the pilot, while declaring he's able to fly the plane, is stuck in the bathroom at the mercy of a jammed door, what comfort is there? He can fly the plane, but he's not in control. You don't have to suffer from prolonged anxiety over your circumstances. The cure is the promise of God for peace because of who he is and because you trust in what he says about himself as sovereign. The response is prayer and thankfulness toward him, not only if he takes away difficult trials, but even if in his sovereign control he doesn't. He can and does give peace that surpasses all understanding. He can guard, he can and does guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, giving you right thinking. And let this truth encourage you today. Why can we memorize these verses and recite them and take comfort in them? What is the reason why? Because God is sovereign. That's why we go to him. We can trust him. I pray that you will do so today with your anxieties. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, Sovereign God, we come to you humbly this morning. We confess that we are unrighteously anxious about many things. Father, we need you desperately. We need you to give us right thinking. We need you to guard our hearts and our minds against the wrong thinking that comes in according to ourselves or what we see and hear and feel. Lord, help us to trust in your word, which is the truth. I pray for for today, Lord, for anyone here that is struggling with ongoing anxiety and the world has nothing to offer, Lord, that, that they would know today that you are sovereign. I pray you would give them that peace 
that passes all understanding. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of his Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.